Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KCBS Radio. Original podcasts. If you're listening to this podcast, then odds are you've listened to a true crime podcast. At the very least, you've heard ads for them. It's far and away the most popular podcast genre, you could even call it a phenomenon, especially as true crime podcasts have led to real life results, tracking down suspects, solving cold cases. Podcasts like Serial, Up and Vanished, and Bearbrook have activated listeners and law enforcement alike, leading to arrests and convictions, or overturned convictions of the wrongly accused. So what is it about true crime that captivates so many of us? From KCBS Radio, I'm Natalia Gravich, and this is Bay Current. I'm a true crime podcast junkie myself, so much so that I can now call myself a true crime podcaster. At KCBS Radio, we've just launched my latest true crime series, Bitter Academia, exploring the still unsolved death of Jane Stanford, the founder of Stanford University, who was poisoned 118 years ago. The cover-up that followed and the university's clumsy present-day reckoning with this part of its sordid past. Episode 1 is out now. Go ahead and subscribe and listen. So, as a true crime fan and podcaster myself, I wanted to connect with one of the heavy hitters in the true crime space, Jason Moon, host of Bearbrook, one of the most popular true crime podcasts out there, with season 2 out this week, to talk about the evolution of the true crime genre, and why so many of us are nothing short of obsessed. So yeah, Jason, it's really great to chat with you today. Um, it's been it's been five years since your first season, and I kind of just wanted you to take us back to the beginning of that journey. Like, did you ever think that your podcast would kind of be so groundbreaking in terms of like using genealogy to solve cases, that kind of thing? Uh, no, is the short answer. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, I'm surprised that it's uh, no, I, five years. Wow. Um, no, when I was working on the first season of Bearbrook, I um, thought it was uh, like a pet project, like, a, you know, it was nice of the station to let me do that outside of my normal job. And, you know, it'll help me just put this idea to rest and I'll have this little experiment and, you know, it'll be this quiet little thing and not many people will listen and whatever and I'll get back to my my normal job. Um, so yeah, everything that has happened since um, the first season started coming out in uh, October of 2018 has been, uh, you know, just a complete shock. Um, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. So when did you first kind of get a sense of what an impact it was making? I think it was 
You know, it didn't take long. It was uh, maybe a month or so in. I mean, because I, I think we were releasing those episodes weekly back in 2018, and I was still working on the episodes as they were being released. So, like, when the first episode was dropping, I was still working on, like, episodes, you know, four, five, and six or something like that. And I remember, like, I think it was probably when there was, uh, we made that list in the New Yorker, I think sometime that fall. And I was like, wow, this is really, um, didn't, you know, was not expecting that. And so I really started to work harder on those later episodes because, you know, it was, it was becoming apparent to me that like people really were listening and having the same kind of, um, um, fascination and, and, we're being moved by the story in the same way that I was, which was an amazing thing to to feel that that people were, um, um, you know, validating that that my interest in the story to begin with, in, in a sense. You know, I I always had a a real sense of responsibility to the uh, the sources in that story, especially to to do it well, to um, to not. Um, take lightly the fact that they were willing to to share about, you know, for some of them, you know, very extremely painful experiences, you know? So, I mean, it's been, yeah, it's been now five years since, since the first season launched. I'm kind of curious, you know, that's a pretty sizable chunk of time, you know, did the right case just not kind of fall across your lap or what sort of, um, how did the ball get rolling for, for season two? Yeah, I never planned for a season two. I never, I never um, thought that was going to happen. I, I didn't set out to make that happen with this story. Um, I was, for a long time, for the past couple of years, I thought I was working on, you know, what would be a totally separate series, which is what I've been doing ever since Bear Brook, you know, other, uh, other documentaries that we release in a, in a separate feed um, as part of the New Hampshire Public Radio's document team, just sort of just sort of a space for our documentary projects now. And so I, I, I had done a couple of different documentaries that had lived in that feed, and I thought I was working on the next one for that. But as we did more and more of the reporting on the story that became season two, the parallels to the first season felt uh, became too obvious to ignore. Um, from the fact that it's, you know, from the same, the same era, you know, the, the late 1980s in Southern New Hampshire and New Hampshire being the small state that it is, and, and particularly the, the criminal legal system in New Hampshire being as small as it is, there are a surprising number of, uh, characters who overlap in both cases. Um, it just, it just felt so thematically uh, similar that it that we started to talk about it as perhaps the second season. And then, you know, I was resistant at first. You know, it doesn't happen in Bear Brook. You know, it's not related to the park. But there's also, you know, it's, it's also just becoming more of a accepted um, move, I guess, in the podcasting space for, for uh, this kind of evolution, you know, from you know, podcasts like In the Dark or Serial, 
who or or White Lies, you know, all you know, launched as a one mini series, you know, limited run series, and then went on to use uh, went on to use that same branding to to do um, subsequent series, and and you know, of course, there's also the very practical um, consideration of like, you know, this is where all the listeners from the first season are, and rather than try to you know, reinvent um, that audience or recreate that audience in a in a new space. Exactly. Why not, why not just put it in the same spot? So, so um, tell me about Sharon. Like, how did you first hear about about Sharon and and her case and and what happened to her? This was a case that I first heard about through, well, not through another podcast, but I I heard that another podcast was coming to New Hampshire to work to report on a case. And I that really interested me um, because th- this podcast is, is a, a famous one in the true crime space. It's called Undisclosed, and it's hosted by Rabia Chowdhury, who became famous as an advocate for Adnan Syed, uh, who was the subject of Serial, who was recently exonerated. And Rabia and her and her crew had done a number of, of seasons of her podcast, Undisclosed, on, on different cases where they believe uh, like a wrongful conviction took place and with a like a surprisingly consistent track record of actually like um, altering the trajectory of those cases and that was an idea that I that that's the 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 kernel of the the idea that first interested me interested me about this case was can we watch um, true crime media affect true crime as it as it happens if that makes sense and part of that was was born out of my own experience with that with the first season of bear brook where you know after the initial run of the first six episodes um you know one one of the women who identified the three of the victims uh f- from season 1 you know, she she did that after listening to the podcast, and that kind of helped her helped convince her of a of a theory she had about the case. So, I was just I was curious about how um, true crime as an institution, as this you know really big and um, kind of <laughs> ubiquitous uh, a part of our lives, or or Almost like it's almost like an unexamined aspect of the criminal legal system in a way, because there are so many, uh, there's so much true crime media out there and covering, you know, ongoing cases, and there, are, by now, have been enough examples of how, you know, the presence of a true crime documentary or uh, you know, a, a, a true crime show, you know, actually alters the the reality of the true crime that they are reporting on and this kind of blending of, of the, the representation of the case and the case itself and, you know, art and life, they're imitating each other. And I was just really interested in, in an idea around that. And so I, there was this opportunity where I heard about this other podcast was going to come to New Hampshire to report on this case. And I caught wind of it before they got here. And so I reached out to them and we arranged that I could sort of tag along with them and report on them 
making their podcast. And so that's a long way of saying, um, of explaining how I first got interested in the case. I wanted to see what, um, uh, I wanted an opportunity to document how true crime can, can change um, uh, real life cases. Uh, but in the course of, uh, of, of, you know, doing my own reporting and research about the story, you know, the, the actual case, the underlying case itself is so, is so fascinating and so gripping. And, um, you know, the, the thumbnail sketch of it is that um, uh, uh, a woman named Sharon Johnson uh, was murdered in 1988 in, in New Hampshire, and three people were arrested and charged with her murder. Uh, two of them uh, were not convicted. One of them was convicted on the basis of his own confession. And today, the New England Innocence Project believes he was wrongfully convicted. And they're uh, working to exonerate him. And so um, everything that the, all the history behind the, that kind of thumbnail sketch that I just gave you is also uh, turned out to be, you know, equally as, as fascinating and worthy of a story uh, of, a, of the treatment I think we, we ended up giving it. Definitely. I mean, based on my preliminary listen, I especially really enjoyed, I won't reveal it here, but I really enjoyed the twist at the end of episode one. I was not expecting that. <laughs> um, so I, I was really interested in kind of what you had to say about how crime media starts to mirror real life in a way. And I was kind of wondering, because you were, you know, one of the, one, I'll be honest, you're one of the trailblazers in this, you know, when you first started, it was a very different, different scene. And I'm kind of curious if you've seen sort of more of an evolution of this happening in recent years. Has it become more of a phenomenon than it was in the past? Yeah, I think I think probably. I mean, I don't have a uh, you know a scientific um, a scientifically you know rooted uh, survey. Thank you, thank you. But yes, I mean it, it. It it certainly seems that true crime has just continued to explode you know, over the past five years since the first season of Bear Brook came out. And um, and particularly, you know, for me, I was just fascinated by all these situations where, you know, true crime, you know, like filmmakers show up, like uh, like something like Making a Murderer. You know, they tell a story about that case in the first season, right? And then the second season of that show, if you've seen it, is largely about things that have happened that only happened because the first season was made. You know, new attorneys show up because they heard about it in the first season. You know, attention, money, you know, all these things that, that wouldn't have happened. The states maybe, you know, responding in ways they might not have if they didn't know this, this, the, the spotlight was on them. And I, I kept having this feeling watching that documentary and watching others or listening to others that, well, wouldn't it be fascinating if there was like another microphone in the room that was watching those documentarians and sort of analyzing those choices, which is maybe like not interesting to most people or kind of navel-gazy. Yeah, right. Um, but on the other hand, it feels like, to me, it's, like, it's a little bit of an, I think I said this earlier, but it's an unexamined system that affects, has real impacts on on people's lives in the criminal legal system. And so, in the same way that, you know, I, I would want to report on 
you know, the workings of, of the legal system and, you know, I don't know, just for instance, like how, how like jury selection works or how or how forensic evidence is admitted or not, you know, well, what about the like the true crime part of it and, and the, the effects that that can have on it? It, it feels like the one part of the this whole system that we actually don't talk about, which is ironic because it's the part of it that is doing the talking most of the time. So, um, and 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 part of that is just because, like what you just said, you know, it it has become so. It is different now that the space is so flooded with true crime media that it didn't feel like, at least for me, it didn't feel like we could we could tell another true crime story without acknowledging that somehow, without talking about, yeah, there is a lot of true crime out here and here's what it can do. Here's what it is doing. Yeah. Do you do you think that its influence is is a positive or, or a negative? Because, I mean, you know, in some cases it, it can help solve cases, but in other cases, I don't know, it might be detrimental. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's it, it can do all of the above. Um, and and that's um, there are plenty of examples on either side of that, right, where where cases have been solved because, uh, you know, storytellers uh, were there to bring it to to a broader audience and someone who watched it, you know, had the tip or, or whatever it may be. Or because the the reporters, the documentarians themselves actually solve it in their own reporting. There's also the, the flip side of that, which is, you know, the extent to which true crime media can can just be like a a content mine. And we're just going down into the, you know, into the mine with our shovels and and just retelling these stories about people's very real trauma. You know, every every true crime story is is the worst thing that ever happened to someone. And and. Sometimes there's not really enough um, the gravity of that I don't feel is is uh, appropriately reckoned with in every in every situation. You know, I've, I've often said, um, you know, for me to do a true crime story, there really has to be some kind of um, larger um, reason to to retell the story. That's 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 more than just like, isn't it interesting how this person was killed or how this person was caught or, you know, if it's not teaching us about, you know, something systemic or something, something that has implications that go beyond that particular case, that to me is, is one, is one way to uh, set the bar for whether it's, it's worth. That's a good question. See, now I'm, I'm asking that about my own and, I don't know. I think I think for mine, because it's about Jane Stanford, it's kind of about, you know, a powerful woman, you know, out of her time kind of being targeted because she was in a position of authority. I think I think that's my answer, but I might get back to you on that. Um, But so for your season two, I mean, the answer to that question is is pretty clear based on what you've said so far. Right. It's that you are telling it to examine that exact phenomenon. Right. Yeah, and I would I I would say that's one of of the 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 themes that we pull out in the story. But I do think there are are, are others, including uh, what's really important to me is is the science of false confessions, which is also of uh, another kind of 
thematic through line to the first season, which was you know very heavily science uh, focused. Uh, where we you know we spent a whole episode talking about isotopes, and then I think pretty much a whole other episode talking about genetic genealogy, and you know part of the story was about how technology is changing, how uh, the criminal legal system um, can do its work. This story is much the same, but from a different perspective where uh, confession evidence, which for you know decades, centuries actually, was considered kind of the gold standard of evidence of guilt. You know, I, why would you confess to something if you didn't do it? You know, particularly something of the magnitude of a rape or a murder. Well, in the past, you know, 30 years or so, there's been uh, a real revolution in terms of the science and our understanding of of how actually how brittle confessions can be, which is so counterintuitive in a way that I find so fascinating uh, that we spend a lot of time in, in the second season talking about uh, that science. I'm kind of curious, you know, with your listeners and this sort of evolving phenomenon, why... I mean, maybe it's better if I just ask you, why are you so interested in this this area? Why why is true crime so interesting to you? I don't know. I I, um, I mean, I do know. But what I mean is that I have mixed feelings about it. Um, the true crime space as a as a genre, you know, it, it has all those pitfalls that I was mentioning earlier, you know, um, the kind of sensationalism and and kind of just exploitation of, of personal tragedy for entertainment's sake, and um, and so part of instinctually sometimes I I am uh, you know I'm not drawn to it first of all you know I'm not like I don't listen to a lot of true crime I don't um, oh yeah <laughs> you don't have a favorite podcast <laughs> I mean I, yeah I do but it's not true crime. Will you, you know, will you listen to mine? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll make an exception there. Yeah, but it's it's you know at the end of the day, uh, and part of it's part of what makes true crime so compelling is that the stakes are always so high, and that's and that's you know so clear in the in this in this second season of Bear Brook, you know even more so I think than the first season, uh, because it's about you know a case that's uh, a potential wrongful conviction. And so, you know, if it turns out that that's true and, and Jason Carroll, you know, truly is innocent, then, you know, the harm is ongoing. You know, he, he is, is, as we speak, you know, inside the New Hampshire State Prison for Men. And so it's, when I think of it that way, I think that's what ends up bringing me back to telling stories about, about crime because, you know, my role is is a very uh, privileged one. You know, I get to spend, you know, upwards of a year reporting one story as deeply as I can, figuring out how to tell it as effectively as I can so that it will reach the most people I can and do the most public good possible. And so when I finish the story and I start thinking about, you know, what's next, what story do I want to work on next? For me, I often feel like, well, if I'm going to invest all this time and effort, it needs to be a story that um, 
where the stakes are really high, you know, a story that's really important. And, and you know, so often those stories are found in the criminal legal system because it is, you know, it's literally life and death sometimes, you know. Thank you again to Jason Moon, host of the Bearbrook podcast. Check out season two of his series with New Hampshire Public Radio. And a reminder to please listen and subscribe to my newest KCBS Radio true crime original podcast, Bitter Academia, on the mysterious unsolved murder of Stanford University founder Jane Stanford. Available now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Bay Current is a production of KCBS Radio. This episode was produced, written, and edited by Matt Pittman and me, Natalia Gravich. Get more stories like this and stories from the Bay Area by subscribing to Bay Current on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 